Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis 5, uh, chapter, uh, verse 21 to 24. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God, and after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, everybody. It's good to see all of you here. Um, if you haven't noticed, today is a college Sunday. So we had our college students, well, most of them, college students uh, lead us in worship today. And I was just looking at them today and um, realized that I think five out of that whole group, they were all worship leaders in their youth group days. And um, they, they came together and made a band. It sounded okay, I thought. But, um, but yeah, today is College Sunday. I think they did a spectacular job, praise God. And uh, we do have it two times a year, and this is our second time. Also, today I want to just say that it's our head pastor's birthday, uh, Pastor Yang's birthday, so we have a card. And if you know who he is and you've appreciated what he's done, he's done so much for our EM. Would you go to the back and sign the card after service today? I also want to say that we have a new members class in case you weren't here for our uh, announcements. We have a new members class that's starting today. And if you didn't sign up, please just come to my office, which is across the hall in the foyer area, and we can start today with me. One last one before I start. I want to say that in the aisle seats all across our sanctuary, you'll see in that little compartment below the seat, there are index cards. And they're going to be there from now on. If you have a prayer request, uh, if you want our church to lift up a prayer for you on your behalf, then please fill that out and put it in the offering basket. And if the offering basket, if it's past the offering time, you can, you can feel free to give it to me or any other pastors. And we gather every Saturday morning. I don't know if you know, but every Saturday morning we have a prayer at 8 a.m. And we pray for our church. We pray for our leaders. And I encourage you all to come out. And we're going to start praying for each other. And so I hope that we can start this um, really well and that we can really love each other by praying for one another. I'm going to continue on. And uh, we are now at the fifth chapter of Genesis. Genesis, to me, is one of the more exciting books in the Bible, and I love it. I love it because I'm a big nerd, too, and um, I love the creation story and how it fits in with science and how there's always this debate. And uh, we went on from there to Adam and Eve, then to Cain and Abel, and now we're at chapter 5. Now, if anybody is familiar with doing a 90-day Bible reading or a one-year Bible reading program, what happens usually around chapter 5? Around chapter 5, first of all, we might have already stopped by chapter 5, but around chapter 5, we start skipping because 
We can't even pronounce the names. Who's Mahalalel? And I think I know how to say Methuselah because I heard it in that movie Noah recently made. And then we have all these names and years that come out and I'll have to admit that normally even when we get to genealogies, I would even skim through or skip it. And I'm guilty too of giving this advice to certain people who are doing the 90-day challenge or the one-year challenge. They would come, to, come up to me and say, how do we read the genealogies? And I would say, skim through it the best you can so that you can get through the whole Bible. But today, I want to start off by saying that genealogy matters. I have three points today, and it's genealogy matters, faith matters, and fruit matters. So genealogy, faith, and fruit. You know, there's an old story of a Scot Scottish minister who was reading from the first chapter of Matthew's gospel. And he started reading, Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judah. And he looked on ahead and he saw all the lists that he had to follow and he just said, and then they kept on begetting one another all the way down to this page and the next page after. It's hard for us sometimes to see why this is important. But humanity, when we see this in a bigger picture, humanity takes part in the continuing creation of God. Humanity, humanity takes part in the continuing creation of God, and we call this seminal transference of the Imago Dei. That means you continue to pass down the Imago Dei. And through the genealogies, we see this literally happening. God created Adam and put his image in Adam. And as Adam begat his sons and daughters, what happens is the Imago Dei doesn't deteriorate. He continues on. That's why we say that your life matters to Jesus. Genealogy matters because God's plan isn't just for you. You know, a lot of times we think about faith as a personal thing. And this is because of our Protestant Reformation, true, and it's very important. But we can't lose sight of the fact that God's plan is also for your family. God's plan is also for your lineage. God's plan is also for your children and your children's children and the people that follow after you. Uh, my dad told me a story once. I think I was eating at the dinner table. And um, he told me that, Eugene, did you know that you were descended from a king? And I said, no, I didn't. And, I, and then I asked him, and I was just a kid. And then I asked him, did he believe in Jesus? And obviously he didn't, right? Like in Korea, Christianity was only there for like five generations, six generations. So obviously he didn't. So my dad said, no, he didn't believe in Jesus. And then I said to him, then I don't care. I think I really deserved a big smack. <laughs> but my dad was gracious at that time. He didn't. But... What I didn't realize is that genealogy is important, actually, and that where you come from matters. Who your father and mother is matters. Who your grandparents are matter. And that affects who you are. 
So much so that the Bible emphasizes here, this person was the father of this person. And that passes on the Imago Dei. Not only does it pass now, now we know through science, but even back then they didn't know anything about DNA, right? They didn't know about DNA. But now we do know that we literally pass down our genes to our children. And we pass down over time all the DNA structures and all the things that we have, we pass it down to our children. I also want to say this one interesting fact. If you look, there's a study, it's called the Intra-Individual Change Over Time in DNA Methylathon and Familian Clustering. clustering excuse me. You can listen to this again if you need to know it. But research scientists in Iceland recorded genetic changes, and they were, they were recording genetic changes of Americans, particularly for in the course of 10 to 16 years. And DNA, they found, changed as much as 20%. 20% in just 10 to 16 years. And I know we always have this, and I'm trying to offer the other side. We always have this, um, this excuse that we want to say, I was born this way. Or it's just in my DNA. But we know that, yes, DNA gives us propensity. It gives us, a, you know, a inkling to certain things. Um, certain things can be changed. Certain things can't be changed. Like my skin color, that probably won't change. That's probably permanent, the more permanent side. But let's say certain things that have been passed down through generation through generation, some of those things have to be changed. Just because it's in your DNA doesn't make it good. And so, as a Korean male, one of the things that I had to repent of and try to change over many years is anger. Yeah, as a Korean man, I was very angry. And I realized, maybe that's in my DNA because I've seen once, and in Korean we say um, the top is open. I, I don't know, to me it doesn't make any sense, but once the top is open, there's no stopping a Korean man, apparently. It's just like they'll go all the way. And uh, people used to, you know, just even say things like when a Korean guy would get angry, you just leave because there's no, like, calming that guy down. And I, I've seen it through my generations and the, my fathers before me. And I, and I realized, wow, this is something that needs to change. And perhaps it was in my DNA and some things just... I don't know, some things just get you. I don't know if you guys can relate. Probably not because you're much better than me. But some of the things I, would, I realize, I need to change that. Some of those things aren't good. And they may have been passed down. But in this case, we have things that were passed down that we need to see. And whether we realize it or not, it is not just subtly in there. It's overtly in our text. And I want to show it to you today. I didn't want Grace to read the whole uh, chapter, but we are going through the whole chapter. There is a format that this genealogy goes through. And the format is name, age, additional years after their first, after their born, the birth of their son, acknowledgement that they have other children, total lifespan, and then in the refrain, it's he died, right? And so when... When you calculate all these things, there are so many interesting things that pop up. I'm going to nerd out a little bit, but right in this section here. But if you look at Adam's age and when he 
fathered Seth. And then you go all the way down the line and look at the ages of everybody. He was alive. That means he saw his like great, 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 great grandchildren <laughs> and he was alive. And the most interesting thing to me when I calculated um, the age, uh, Adam was uh, 56 years old when Lamech was born. That's the father of Noah. So Adam lived all the way to see Lamech born and he didn't get to see Noah. But the genealogy here ends in Noah. And to me, that's so fascinating. So if you've been uh, riding along with us in Genesis, then you'll see that Adam was cursed. In chapter 3, he was cursed, if you remember. And he was cursed by painful toil. His hands would have to work the ground. Right? That was his curse. But you see, Noah's, Noah's name is he will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. So Noah was born, but Adam was not able to see that comfort. To me, that's just, that was just so fascinating if you just did the math. But not only that, in this kind of format of genealogy that can be maybe boring to some, if you really look at it, there are two deviations, and we need to pay close attention to the deviations. And one deviation is Noah. You know, Lamech doesn't just say I, he fathered Noah, but also adds that why he named him Noah. So Noah, we see, is an important part. And you, you know the story. There's no spoiler here. You know the story. Noah plays an incredibly important part in the upcoming chapters. And then it doesn't start, and even in his line, it doesn't say when Noah lived 500 years, but the actual words that are used is after Noah lived 500 years, and there is no refrain of death. And so there are two deviations. The first one is Noah's deviation. I mean, I'm sorry, the second one is Noah's deviation, but I really want to focus today on that first deviation. And that first deviation is Enoch. And I'll read that passage one more time. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more because God took him away. And then the Hebrew word took him away isn't just, um, isn't the connotation of death as in he just cut him off, but took him away meant um, more towards the rapture thing, like God actually took him to himself. God really liked Enoch so much that he actually brought him to himself, which brings me to my second point, faith matters. From the very beginning of this book and of the Bible, we are taught about righteousness and piety from the very beginning. So a righteous and pious life isn't based on the actions you do on this world. And it's so important that we get this. A righteous and pious life isn't based on the actions that you do in this world. Piety, biblical piety, is based on when you enjoy the supernatural and intimate fellowship with God. Piety isn't based on the actions you do in this world. It's actually based 
on the supernatural, intimate fellowship we have with God. I'm not saying that a pious person won't do these acts, but the acts do not make a pious person. In fact, someone that really, really has affected me deeply in this issue that I share often is about Abraham Lincoln. In his memoirs, he wrote about him driving or riding in a carriage. And as he was riding in a carriage, he saw pigs drowning in the mud. And immediately, and to me that was very ironic because pigs, mud, but immediately he would jump out of his carriage and he saved those pigs from drowning in the mud. And people that saw it said, wow, the president, what a humble man he is. You know, what a great man he is to even go out of his way to save pigs. And then in his memoirs, he's writing and he wrote, you know, I thought at first this was a selfless act. This was a righteous and pious act. But the more he thought about it, he thought, you know, if I didn't save those pigs, I would, have been, I would have felt guilty all day. I would have felt guilty all day. I saw those pigs. They were dying. I didn't do anything about it. If I didn't save those pigs, what would have people thought about me? Someone who's supposed to be a humble man, someone who's supposed to go out of his way to help people, can't even go out of his way to help pigs. And he came to this conclusion. What I did was a very selfish act. I did it out of selfishness. And he started seeing all these things that he thought were righteous and pious were actually selfish. And this is so important that we know because even from the very beginning, the Bible is teaching us that piety and righteousness doesn't originate from us, but it originates from God. And it is our walk and our intimate fellowship with God that gives us piety, righteousness. It is what God commends us. In fact, Hebrews 11 talks about this when the writer of Hebrews says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And then it goes on and talks about Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. If you go all the way down to that chapter, the writer ends this way. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Now, what this all means is that of all the things that you can do in this life, of all the achievements, the accolades that you can gather, of all the things that we can possibly put forth, the greatest thing that we can do is walk with God and seek Him. Now, that is a very, very different definition from what a lot of people think religion is. A lot of people think religion is, I need to act this certain way so that I can please God. And if I act or do these things, then God will be happy with me. If I serve in the church, if I teach kids, 
If I say hello to people, if I do these things, yada, 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 if I go out and do this ministry, if I go out to the soup kitchen, if I do these things, then God must be happy with me. And the fallacy of that thinking is that when I continue to do these things, then I really honestly start to believe that God owes me. I did these things, so I deserved to be called righteous. I deserve to be called pious. Because of these things that I have done, I deserve. And what happens then? What happens then is very subtly our worldview starts to change and we start dictating terms to God. And God doesn't become God anymore. And I become God. It's because I do these things, God is now compelled God is now almost captured. He has to do these things for me. I did these things, God. You owe me big time, don't you? I'm really suffering as a pastor, you know, with a lonely life. God, you owe me big time, you know. No girls want to marry you. It's just rough. It's just rough. It's like, oh, my goodness. God, you owe me big time. And if I live like that, then I have switched the roles, And God isn't God in my life anymore, and I am God. I'm telling God what to do. God, you deserve to give me these things. Look at what I did. And what I forget then is God is not God over my life. And I go all the way back again to the beginning where Adam, Cain, both of them. What happens when we make a mistake? What happens? Because we all make mistakes. What happens We blame God. God, it's the woman you gave me. That's why I made the mistake. And Cain will blame God again. God, why didn't you accept my offering? That's why I'm angry. It's your fault. And I become God. And that role and seat are switched. Here, God is showing us It's not about the actions. And we have to get this drilled into our heads, into our hearts and our spirits. It's not the actions that make you pious. It's not your actions that make you righteous. It's your faith. And what does that mean? Faith means I walk with God. I have an intimate relationship with him. I listen to what he has to say to me. And I live According to that, there is an example that's so clear in the Bible because this can get so muddy so fast. As soon as we walk out, people might be like, you should do this. And, you'd be like, and you can be like, no, I'm not doing anything anymore. I'm just walking with God. I don't know. It can get so muddy so fast. But a clear and good example is when Mary and Martha were together and they were both with Jesus. I have to imagine this. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. And this is the song we sang. I just want to see his face. But they are people that saw his face. They sat next to him. They ate with him. They were able to converse face to face with him. Man, what an incredible privilege that was. And I used to always think, if there is any time I could travel back into the world in in time, it would be 2,000 years ago. But I realize even that isn't that important as living now and walking in faith because I will get to see his face. 
And that's a song that we can sing. And that gives us so much hope. Mary and Martha were together and they wanted to serve and worship Jesus. They both thought they had good hearts. One just reclined in front of Jesus and one was busy doing the dishes, cooking, doing all this work. And this person that was busy, Martha, told Jesus, Jesus, why don't you scold Mary and tell her to help me? What is that? That's a change also, another change. See that change starts happening? Who is she blaming for not scolding Mary quick enough? Now she has to tell Jesus, look, I have to tell you what to do. And that seed starts to change again. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, Mary chose the better option. It's not a bad thing to do work. In fact, work will naturally flow out of your relationship. But your work will not promote the relationship. We need to get that straight when we start church, you guys. When we gather together here, the first and foremost, most important thing is you have a relationship with God. And that's what pleases Him. That's what He loves. I know it's Pastor Yang's birthday, and I, I want to say all our pastors, including Pastor Yang, what I really love about our pastors is that they love and they walk faithfully with God. And they are quick to repent. If you were there Friday evening, I gave a message, and Pastor Yang just came up after my message and said he was so blessed he needs something to repent of. And I was just thinking, what Korean pastor does that? And after an EM pastor gives a message, comes up and says, I listened to the message, and I need to repent. But this is a man who loves God. And this isn't a man who did everything perfectly, otherwise there would be nothing to repent. But God loves a person who comes to him and says, I want to have an intimate relationship with you. And that's what repentance is. Everything that's been wrong, everything that's been backwards, everything that I haven't been living by faith, you know what? I want to turn it around and come back to you because I've realized that everything that I do, if it's not from you and you are not my source, then I start wondering, why am I doing anything? Why am I giving? Why am I helping? Is it really selfish? And people just now, we are in a place in our culture where people are just basking in their selfishness. It's like, oh, I don't actually want to go to Africa. So you know what? I'll give you 10 bucks through my text. And I, I did my part. And you see that Abraham Lincoln memoir come to life once again. We do all these things, not because we really care, but to alleviate something in ourselves. How can we ever change that? We change that by repenting and walking with God. And people always think that, you know, this means that rules and regulations don't apply. That it's all about walking with God. Now I'm going to get to this point. And I have to say the answer to that is no. No. For even Jesus himself said, I tell you the truth, until, even until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the slightest stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. 
Jesus is saying, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. This law, these things, these rules and regulations are things that show us that we really need God. And as we walk with God, we see that law actually come into fruition in our lives. So we start helping people. We start serving the church. We start caring deeply with a deep compassion and empathy for others that are around us, even if I might not know every single detail about their life. But what I do know is they have a need, and I can start praying for them. This, what I am sharing, is an incredible mystery. It's an incredible mystery. And if we get some of that now, today, in this very place, then know this, that Christ has entrusted you with that mystery he has just revealed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, is talking about a mystery that God has and that he reveals. And in verse 2, it says, Now that you have been entrusted, you have to prove faithful. There are two sides that are continually going to be, be uh, that are going to continually being displayed in Genesis, and one is one side that is for God, and one is another side that is not for God. In chapter four, the end of chapter four, Cain's genealogy is there, and it ends with Lamech. He also has a descendant called Lamech, and Lamech boasts that if Cain was avenged seven times, then I am avenged 77 times because he killed somebody just like Cain did. You see, what happens when we get away from God is that we become more and more deprived, depraved, and we become more further away from what we were originally created to. That's why I am not surprised when people tell me that somebody's DNA is help making them do certain things that aren't good. And I would say, I agree with that statement. It's actually very biblical. People start changing, even over the course of the years. And it's very true. As the older you get, your DNA changes. And when you have children, that DNA you pass to your children are your current state of DNA. And so you see here Cain's genealogy becomes more and more depraved because they're stepping away from God. Eventually he boasts of his crime. He's boasting of murder. Cain didn't boast of murder. But Lamech boasts of his crime. And not only that, he takes God's very words and he makes light of them, almost like a joke. Oh, Cain's going to be avenged seven times? That's what God said? Well, if anybody tries to touch me, he's going to be avenged 77 times. And we see that one side of people going away from the truth, going away from God. By contrast, the narrator shows Seth's line. And by the time it hits Lamech again, and it's so interesting, both the descendants is Lamech, Lamech shows hope for salvation as he names his son Noah. In the flood, the seed of Cain comes to an end, but Seth's lives on. See, what God is trying to show us through this passage is that when you have faith, your fruit changes. And that's why your fruit matters. It matters because your children will be affected by your faith, 
But I have to say, now through Jesus Christ, even that has changed and we have been given bigger, broader boundaries. I'll tell you what I mean by that. It's not just your children that you affect because of Jesus Christ. There was a man called Louis Zamperini, and he actually died of pneumonia a few years ago, but he died at the age of 97. He was an Olympian runner and a POW. His story was so interesting, in fact, that Angelina Jolie made a movie about him. It's called Unbroken. And there was one particular scene while they were shooting in New South Wales in Australia. Excuse me. Angelina Jolie found herself desperate in need of a miracle. She was not a person of faith. Uh, she had never prayed before. But Zamparini's life as she was interviewing him really affected her. They needed sunlight for this last shoot. It was so important. But there had been a storm that had been going on for a while. And this is what Zamparini's daughter is recalling at a press conference in New York. Angelina says, I don't know what I'm going to do because I have to take this shot. But I know what Louis would do. And she got on her knees and she started praying for a miracle. Everybody saw it. And then it stopped raining. The sun came out. A rainbow came out. Angelina Jolie got off, her, off of her knees and she said, let's get this take. And then they shot, the they shot the take. And when she said cut, it started to rain again. This incredible story of faith doesn't just affect us and our children. I have to say, through Jesus Christ and now the Holy Spirit working within you, it affects everybody around you. This is the gift that we have been given. This is the offering that we can make. This is why we must walk faithfully. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God and we are a new creation in Him. And now we have not just been given just a good feeling, but we've been given the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Paul writes, my brothers and sisters, you are called to be free. No more slaves. No more slaves so that you indulge your flesh, but rather free so you can humbly serve one another. That is the fruit that is produced when you walk in faith. You know, sometimes the fruit might not be as quick as we saw in Angelina Jolie's movie. It takes time for fruit to mature. But I want to give you encouragement if you have been planting and you have been walking in faith and you really haven't seen that much yet. And the key word here is yet. A young man was walking down south and he's walking along a dirt path and he came upon an old man he was bowing down to the ground to plant pecan trees in a field and he stopped he's like why would you plant pecan trees old man you know by the time they mature you won't be able to even enjoy the pecans 
because it takes a lifetime. And the old man responded, I plant these trees because all my life I've eaten pecans from trees I didn't plant. I want to show you this. Your life isn't just because of what you did. You have a genealogy. You have been given things that you don't even realize. And if you have parents of faith, then praise God. But even if you don't, I want to say this. Your genealogy is changed when you believe in Christ. He makes you a son and daughter. And your name is moved from Cain to Jesus Christ. And you start inheriting and adopting that fruit. And we can live and walk that life of faith. Pray with me, brothers and sisters. I want to ask that you pray right now. And honestly ask God in your heart, what have I been doing? And why have I been doing anything that I am doing? And if it's not walking faithfully and intimately with you, God, help me to walk intimately and faithfully with you. We know that that makes you happy. That brings you joy. That gives us true freedom. Let's take this time to meditate and pray and lift up our hearts to the Lord.